as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez. We're sending out congratulations to our friends at DHR Health. They have marked the one-year point of their Level 1 Trauma Center that actually has been working as Level 1 Trauma for more than a year. But at the one-year mark official, uh, they also renamed the effort at DHR Health, Dr. Jeffrey Skubik is the tip of the spear at uh, operations there at Level 1 Trauma, DHR Health. Well, first of all, congratulations, Doc. So tell me about the evolution in history again. Let's visit that, how we now have the one and only Level 1 Trauma Center in all the region. Thanks, Sergio. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, sir. Um, uh, we started working towards this. It's been over several years. The, the effort ac- actually began before I came down here. Uh, we had had a Level 3 Trauma Center there. And um, while I was there, we went to a level two. I came down in 2018, and I was present for that. And then over the last couple of years, we made a significant strides forward in trying to become a level one trauma center. The summer of 2021, so about a year ago, uh, we underwent a survey by the American College of Surgeons. We passed without any deficiencies, which means we got verified for three years, uh, which set us as the, the first level one trauma center south of San Antonio. And uh, we're, a year, we're a year in from that point. I think we can follow you. You know, you say level three, level two, level one. We, you know, I think all of us working for a living. For you, it's daily. For us, you know, it's it's different. Uh, we just know it's it's impressive to say level one. But what services, what what medical uh, procedures available are with level one? Is that the highest? Uh, can you explain to us what it sure. means to be level one? Sure, that's a great question. You know, there's, there's different levels of trauma centers, one through four, and um, the lower the number. The, the higher the level of care. So if you go to a big university hospital like in Houston or UT San Antonio or Baylor Dallas or now us, DHR Health, we're all level one trauma centers. It means you get the highest level possible of trauma care, meaning when you get injured, we can take care of everything. Um, what that means, think the kind of things we had to add in order to obtain that level, we had to be able to take care of not just regular, uh, you know, broken bones, but we also had to be taking care of complex facial injuries, uh, vascular injuries, hand injuries. That's something that's hard to, to take care of in the Valley. All those things were put in place so that you can get hurt. And, you know, hopefully not, but, you know, patients can get hurt 24-7. If you come in on, you know, Christmas Eve at 2 in the morning, Jeez. you're going to have access to a facial surgeon, a hand surgeon, a trauma surgeon, orthopedic surgeons, whatever it is, you need to fix your, your injuries. They're available around the clock, 365 days a year. There you go. All systems of the human body, or, uh, you can address any injury, any trauma to them. Um, Essentially, yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to tell you about the latest one we just added. Okay. Um, we just successfully performed the first endovascular repair, meaning with wires and a stent 
meaning without making any big incisions, um, repair of the thoracic aorta. Uh, we had a patient who had a bad car wreck Oof. and transected his aorta, the big, the big blood vessel that feeds your entire body, in his chest, not far from the heart. And previously, every single one of those injuries was shipped north to either Houston or San Antonio from yeah, the valley. Maybe. This was the very first attempt to ever repair that here. And we successfully did so. Um, we spent about a year preparing the team for that. And so um, we're ready to take care of more of those. In other words, you know, we're continuing to add services that will prevent any patient from leaving the valley, no matter how complex their injury. With DHR Health Level 1 Trauma, Dr. Jeffrey Skubik, they just marked the one-year anniversary, of officially being designated Level 1. They've been working as Level 1 for more than two years now trying to reach that designation, but you renamed, uh, folks there at DHR renamed it for Dr. Kenneth Maddox. Tell us who he is. Dr. Kenneth L. Maddox is considered the father of trauma surgery. He's defined many of the procedures we do and how we take care of trauma patients. He's a trauma surgeon, uh, practiced his entire career in Houston, Texas. He was the chief of surgery at Ben Taub Hospital in Houston. And he literally wrote the textbook entitled Trauma, <laughs> which is published worldwide. And he also published um, a manual on trauma surgery called Top Knife, which is also published worldwide in multiple languages. And basically, a lot of the things that we do to take care of patients on a daily basis in trauma surgery have been defined by him. He just stepped down from chief of surgery last year at Ben Taub, and he has been instrumental to helping us progress our care of patients in the Valley. Um, from the very beginning, he has led us uh, through the process of advancing trauma care, what we need to do, what we need to obtain, research ideas we can, we can perform. What, what the public doesn't see is how many times he flew down to the Valley and several trips we made to Houston to learn from him. And so he has been so instrumental to us and he has had such an amazing career uh, as far as surgeons go. And we thought we saw it only fitting to name our actual trauma unit, our big mm -hmm. trauma resuscitation bay when, when patients first came in, to name it the Kenneth L. Maddox Trauma Unit. Well, and his go. name's now up on the side of the building. So that, that holds us to a higher level of care, a higher standard. You know, every time patients come there, they're gonna be expecting the absolute highest level of trauma care, and we're going to strive to, to provide that for them every day. Very nice. And I see from reports that Dr. Maddox was there at the birthday party at the event where you renamed it after him. Um, tell me his reaction. Um, I don't know if he's had, uh, like, <coughs> elementary schools named after him or, or you know, naval ships. I don't know. I would imagine this was something special for him. What, what can you tell me? Oh, he, he reacted that he was ex extremely humbled by it, so grateful. And um, that's right, he came down uh, alongside uh, the governor. Governor Abbott was there, yeah. and Dr. Maddox, uh, both of them gave speeches, as well as Dr. Maddox gave a, a one-hour grand rounds, like a big uh, presentation to all of us surgeons at our hospital that morning as a thank you to us. And so even on the day of the anniversary, even while we're dedicating to him, we still learn from him. He still lectured to us for an hour. Good thing we didn't have some major catastrophic event that 
force the party to stop. Everybody get to work uh, during the celebration last week. Because everybody's on call, I understand, at Level 1 Trauma. Everybody is on call. Whether you're dealing with the brain, the heart, whatever it is, yeah, you got to be on call. That's right. right. Dr. That's Jeffrey. That's right. You know, yeah. our trauma surgeon who was, uh, who was on call that day, Dr. Edgar Cruz, he had to keep uh, stepping in and out of the lecture, uh, you know, intermittently to go yeah. take care of new traumas as they came in. But he was able to handle it. You know, we were all there if it got overwhelming, but he was able to handle it by himself. Dr. Jeffrey Skupik is the leader of DHR Health's Level 1 Trauma Effort that is now named after Dr. Kenneth Maddox from Houston, a trauma expert who helped DHR develop their Level 1 program. What can you tell me about near future and any more resources or equipment that you're looking forward to setting up to expand um, and complement the Level 1 effort? Yeah. Um, well, like I was just telling you, we, we, we did the first T-VAR now, meaning we have the ability to fix thoracic aortas here in the valley. Um, you know, the, the sky's the limit, but we're going to keep looking for areas that need improvement, and we'll keep adding it. Um, stay tuned. Even this fall, we should have some big news for you, um, hopefully bringing another service to the valley that, that has never before uh, been available down here, so stay tuned. I don't want to reveal what it is until Before. it goes live. But well, it seems like the yeah, it would seem that the <clears throat> one of the few services that uh, you've yet to uh, uh, provide there, there are very few now. It's it's um, a burn like a burn unit, like burn uh, reacting to to burn injuries. That would be something that probably would be one of the final things that you would need to offer at DHR. That's correct. Yeah. Um, as you, well, as you probably see, uh, the pediatric hospital, which is going to be run by Driscoll, but on our campus is under construction. Yeah. They're currently up to building uh, floor six out of an eight-story tower, so it's almost done. Um, I'm pretty sure they're going to open sometime next year. <clears throat> That'll help fill the pediatric void, which is so desperately needed in the Valley. Because we all know there's a lot of young population go. down here, and a lot of those kids were shipped out. So that'll help with that. And you're, but you're exactly right. Um, long term, uh, I think I'd like to set my sights. The next big plan would be a burn center. Um, but that's probably a couple years out as, like I said, there's other projects in the works. Dr. Jeffrey Skubik, Director, the operations there at Level 1 Trauma, DHR Health. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. They're running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it, it's free. We're moving forward with a bridge expansion at our city of Donna. Our Mayor Rick Morales joining us. Welcome back, Mayor. So how much is the city going to provide for this, and how big is the project, this expansion project, for the for the Donna Bridge? 
Well, the uh, total project is going to be about uh, $88 million, and um, we're going to be commercializing the, uh, the bridge. Mm-hmm. The bridge is eight lanes wide. It's the, the, the widest uh, bridge um, uh, from El Paso all the way to Brownsville. All we're going to do is we're going to put um, all the x-ray machines and what have you to have the uh, Mexican trucks uh, come across our bridge. And, uh, of course, it's the shortest bridge. Um, uh, again, along the uh, the border from El Paso to Brownsville, and um, we're excited about the project. By when do all the um, by when does all this come online? Do you finally see uh, the completion of, of that massive we're, project? We're gonna we're gonna float bonds uh, at the end of next month, uh, October. We should start construction um, in February, late February, early March. Wow! And it's about um, a fourteen month. Um, uh, uh, time for construction. So shortly thereafter, we're going to start crossing commercial trucks in, uh, from Mexico into the U.S. That's pretty amazing. Uh, it, it would seem to me that the most difficult thing to attain would be the necessary staffing from the federal government for customs to process and inspect all this. It's what's, already done. Yeah. What's what's the, what's the latest uh, on that? that is, yeah. Uh, all that's already been approved and. Uh, uh, on the U.S. side and the Mexican side. Okay. Uh, they wouldn't let us move forward unless all that was in place. Gotcha. All right. Rick Morales is our mayor and Donna. Yeah, Mayor Tim Sullivan here. So Donna going into quite a bit of debt to finance these upgrades. Uh, what is the cost of the improvements and, and how are you working out the math on this? Well, Tim, you know, that's a good question. It's about $88 million, like I said earlier. And um, our break-even is about uh, 350 trucks a day. Um, once we, we cross 350 trucks a day, we're, we're breaking even. We're ex- expecting to cross about 650 trucks a day, uh, starting pretty quick right after we uh, we open up. Uh, we have the, uh, the what I call the Donna Connector. It's gonna start construction about 24 months. That's where the, the um, all the bridges, I thought about West Progresso, Donna, and Far, are going to be using the Donna connector, uh, connecting up here to uh, 83, and of course the the bypass in um, in Mexico that's already been completed to bring the trucks out of Monterey, not having having go into a heavy congested city like Reynosa, they bypass, and the bypass comes straight into the, the Donna Bridge. So we're very excited about that. Customs is expecting, they're wrapping up to about 1,500 trucks a day uh, to begin with. And so we're, you know, we know this is going to be a very, very successful bridge. Mike Rhodes, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if you know who Mike Rhodes Mm -hmm. is. And developer. He's a big developer, one of the largest developers in the valley. He owns about 1,500 acres around our bridge came over gave a presentation personally and said the day that we start construction he starts construction on his development he this is him saying he's going to put in a billion dollars a billion dollars of construction of of new um, warehousing in and around the bridge okay so a billion dollars that's that'll triple the size of the of the city of down in that valorum tax value those projections you 
presented just a moment ago, um, I'm wondering because previous projections as far as truck crossings have have fallen short. Um, how confident are you that your latest projections will hold true? What makes you so sure? We uh, <clears throat> we depend on on the traffic studies and of, of course uh, the traffic patterns and um, it, trade is only going to get bigger. Now there might have been a dip here, a dip there, but both countries are growing, and the numbers are they're you know like I said. Customs is they're wrapping up for 1,500 trucks a day. They know something that that obviously I don't know, and um, uh, so we're very very excited about the the, the project, guys. It, we think it's not going to be a home run. We think it's going to be a grand slam for not just Donna, but the Mid Valley uh, as a whole. And this at a time when Far plus San Saldus would be full com- commercial nearby, we'll be seeing that much traffic. That's pretty amazing to say. Oh yeah! It, listen, uh, a lot of those uh, plants uh, that were in China are not coming back to to Mexico. They uh, say the um, the the trade is only going to get bigger and bigger between both countries. And the more bridges you build, you make a commercial, the uh, more options uh, these huge trucking companies uh, have to to be crossing. Okay, Rick Morales, our mayor, and Donna joining us. And Mayor, yeah, talk more about the roads development. What what do you expect to go up around the bridge there? It's going to be a lot of warehousing. Okay, a lot of just like you see in in, in far. Uh, see that that uh, on 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 the on the financial stu- uh, uh, finance study that that was done. When you have that type of development on the U.S. side, a billion dollars, you thought about. Enormous size warehouses. So now those trucks have a destination. Remember, Mexican trucks, about 98% of them, do not go north of the expressway because DPS gets a hold of them and they, you know, they're they're overloaded. They're you know, there's brakes or this or whatever. So they stay around the area and they right where they cross, they go right back. And so we got. Mm-hmm. Uh, fifteen hundred trucks crossing north. You're going to have about fifteen hundred trucks crossing south. Yeah, got to put and it somewhere. That's the pattern that the uh, customs is seeing. Wherever they cross north, they go right back. They they don't want to be traveling north. For example, at the Far Bridge, Mayor, we've seen a lot of refrigeration um, logistics setting up for Far as an example. They've got. Uh, Yes. Some investments at the Ansel Lewis Bridge nearby as well. Do you expect some of this will also be ag-based refrigeration, like to, to store, or will it be for maquilas, like the manufacturing and, and the assembly lines? Well, have they told you? We, 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 we're expecting both. Uh, ours is unrestricted, so we're expecting both. When you say unrestricted, that means you could take all maquilas and ag, any type of industry. We can take it all, yes. All right. Yeah. All right, man. Ansel Lewis Bridge. There was uh, some restrictions at one time or something. Donna has never had that, and you know we're we're going to be doing the maquila, we're going to be doing the produce, um, and and even uh, fuel going into Mexico. Things are moving very fast, and Donna. Thank you, Mayor, our Mayor for Donna, Rick Morales.
Your Houston Astros play here. And he drives this one up the middle. That's a base hit. Catch Astros baseball action all season long on News Talk 710-KURV. Deep to left field. Kiss it goodbye. Every hit. Every home run. First pitch and he drives it. Left field. Good one. It's out of here. Astros baseball is powered by F&T Valley Motorsports, Riverside Development Services, MissionIncredible.com, and News Talk 710-KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. In the event there's a tropical system in the Gulf of Mexico turning this way, you want to keep it tuned to 710-KURV. Stay informed during hurricane season. Tropical coverage 2022 on air and online at KURV.com. Made possible by Mike's Plumbing, Electrical, and AC, Vega Roofing, McAfee Insurance, and Elephant Building Materials. Sonny Hinojosa is one of our irrigation district managers for the Rio Grande Valley. Sonny, welcome back to KURV. We've been speaking with him on a regular basis, checking the watershed. Now, Sonny, I bring you back because friends over at AccuWeather, uh, they're telling us about two weeks away from the unofficial end of tropical season for the western Gulf. That would be us. And there's nothing on computers showing a tropical system headed this way. So it looks like we're going to be closing the door on our tropical season and the rainmaker that we needed to refill the very low uh, watershed for South Texas. So where are we and what does that mean going into next planting season in the spring? Well, first of all, good morning, Sergio. Good talking to you. Morning, brother. Uh, the last report we have is for September 17th and uh we have a storage uh, or in storage in the Amistad Talcan Reservoir System of just a little over 988,000 acre feet. And yes, uh, you know, we're forecast to be a drier than normal fall and going into uh, winter. And not until early 2023 are we supposed to get back to equal chances of precipitation. So, you know, the inflows we had starting mid August. And the monsoon season, uh, you know, in northern uh, western Mexico and in west Texas, you know, was very beneficial. Uh, I wish it could have been a little better. We still don't have sufficient water. And, uh, you know, the inflows, everything that was credited to the U.S., just really gets us back to where we were in about mid-June of this year. So around uh, the same time we started calling you, <laughs> we were at 29 yes, percent storage at the combined lakes. And that's where we are, right? At 29 percent, muscle mental. We're back to where we started our conversation. Yes, we're at 29.24. And, um, you know, the lowest we got was, uh, of course, mid-August, you know, 20.69. And then we had that little storm August 15th that went right up the river. And, and then the monsoon season in, in, in the West helped tremendously. But we're right back where we were June 11th, you know, at, you know, 29.21, what we were back then. So, yeah, it, it's going to be very critical once again uh, for next spring and summer crops. We need some miracles, right? Like cold fronts, cool fronts that extend far yeah. west and provide water to the Rio Grande. Maybe that could provide us a little bit of rain between now and, and the spring planting season. Yeah, we, we'd hope so. Uh, 
you know, historically we don't get a whole lot of rainfall in the fall. Um, and, and then once again, it's in being forecast that we're supposed to be drier than normal for the remainder of the year uh, for not just here in the Rio Grande Valley, but, but the watershed as well. So we're just going to have to manage what we have and, and hope that we get some spring rains that, uh, you know, will alleviate the use, but also replenish our reserves. Sonny Hinojosa, General Manager, Hidalgo County Irrigation District Number 2, our guest on the morning news. Sonny, Tim Sullivan here. <clears throat> Let's elaborate on that because, yeah, so, you know, looking at these latest reservoir numbers and reflecting the inflows from, you know, the, the very good rains we had over southwest Texas weeks ago. Like you say, put us back to where we were in uh, uh, early summer, but that's still not a good place to be, uh, especially if we don't get much more rain, and that's the forecast. So if we're going to be frank and blunt about it, uh, do we have enough water for irrigation needs next spring? That's an interesting question. Uh, we don't have enough in storage right now. You know, it, for the you know in July we had a negative allocation was water was taken away from our accounts. Mm-hmm. But then in August period, you know, it was those sufficient inflows to pay that water back, and we're still waiting for next week, next week's report to find out how we closed out the month of September. But so far, we you know we've gained a little over two hundred thousand acre feet. So, to answer your question, we don't have sufficient water and storage for an average year because irrigation on an average year uses about eight hundred thousand acre feet, and you know, we're going to have about a million in storage, but, you know, there's 300 acre feet of, of reserves that we need to deduct uh, from that available water you know, for irrigation. So we'll have about 700,000 acre feet in storage. And historically, on an average, we use 800,000. So we're about 100,000 acre feet short for a full year's worth of water for irrigation. So okay. you need to be, what, at now, 50%? If we, if we have a dry year, you know, we've used up to 1.2 million. Well, definitely we don't have the water for that. I think you mentioned in a previous conversation that um, the, the Mexican reservoirs are, are really full. Is there any chance that they may lend some water into the uh, into our reservoirs? Yeah. yeah, they have about five reservoirs that are either at 100% or, or slightly above. And, and the lowermost reservoir on the Rio Concho is Luis Leon, has been releasing, you know, quite a bit of water, but those releases are tapering off now where, you know, the the last report was yesterday's report. You know, they're, they're releasing about, you know, 3,000 cubic feet per second. We get one-third of that, so that's, you know, about 2,000 acre feet a day. But that's, like I said, that's been tapering off. So, you know, that's why I'm, I'm hoping that we hit the 1 million acre foot reserve mark hmm. you know, when we get our report, hopefully this Friday. Uh, but still not enough. Uh, and, 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 you know, Mexico still has, you know, another three seasons uh, for that, for the five-year cycle. Through the end. cycle, yeah. So uh, they're, they're going to probably hold on to as much water as they can for sure. their needs. Yeah. And, you know, hope we get some other similar occurrence as we did this summer, you know, for the next, next three tropical seasons. Again, that cycle is a water-sharing cycle, the agreement between the U.S., and Mexico when it comes to inflows and water in uh, the watershed uh, on the Rio Grande. Sunny Hinojosa is our GM for Hidalgo County Irrigation District Number 2. So we're at 29% at our 
at her bathtub, at her watershed, 29%. At 25%, that's the trigger point for many cities, and many did. They put into place some restrictions on water use. And I heard last week had a couple that said, okay, we're back to normal. Uh, no, not exactly. Uh, so what would you like cities to do? And does it really make a difference when the cities start putting restrictions on watering or lawn and other water use? Yes, it has a huge impact for us. It, it really helps agriculture because that, that where the cities get their water from is, is, of course, the same system, but they draw their water from a reserve that's replenished every month. So the less water that municipalities use, the less water from the inflows is needed to replenish that reserve and, of course, yields more for irrigation. So, yes, we absolutely need to be in conservation mode all the time. And for the irrigation season, the numbers that we need to be spouting for next spring would be you need to be, we need to be, uh, north of 40%, right, around 50% uh, ownership at the watershed to be a bit more comfortable for the next season, right? Yeah, for for, for an average year, we if we could get 35% ownership, we could, we'd have sufficient go. water for an you average the rainfall year. Okay. Now, if we're looking for at a dry year, we need to be, yeah, closer to 45%, 44-45% to feel comfortable to have sufficient water for a dry year. All right. Thanks for the update, Sonny. Thank you for all the numbers you shared with us as well. Sonny Hinojosa, one of our yeah, irrigation yeah. managers for South Texas. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an multiple In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. Mark Vega is with McAllen Public Utility. Mark, welcome back to KURV. So I understand that leadership decided on new water and sewer rates. So what's the plan, Mark? Well, appreciate you having me on, Sergio, first of all. Yes, sir. Um, So, yes, as you know, we've had a pretty uh, challenging year this year as far as the drought. If you recall that, that was uh, just a few months ago. We were probably at about... 19% 19% combined reservoir levels, and that was pretty, um, and it was dropping at that time. So that was a big concern. And so we went on restrictions, as you know, uh, restrictions in our fourth quarter, which is our summer months. That's the toughest month to go on restrictions on because that's where, that's your, your revenue generating month. So that really, really affected not only us, but I'm sure every utility. Um, but mainly the larger factors, Sergio, was um, inflation. And inflation on certain supply products that really affect the water utility, like electricity, that affects both the water and wastewater, that's probably about 15% of our budget. It's now about 18%, creeping up to 20%. 
Um, and the same with the uh, chemical. All the chemicals went up, especially yeah. chlorine, mm-hmm. but not only chlorine. Chlorine is another uh, component in our treatment system that uh, increased from about 15 to about 18, 19%. So those are major, major uh, product increases that affect your process to either treat water or wastewater. Um, fuel was another one. Fuel went up quite a bit, but that's not as large um, a budget component as, as electricity and chemical. Mm-hmm. Fuel is probably close to, it's right under 5%. So even though that increased quite a bit, so did diesel. Um, it's yeah, not as time. much. It didn't have the impact that electricity and chemicals did. So, so that <laughs> played a major, major role in our, our expenses. So help us, um, help me understand, as far as the new water sewer rates, uh, the numbers going up, mm-hmm. um, Average home, um, how, how do you how, do you, how do you explain this? How much more in McAllen will be will we be paying for uh, water and sewer well, services? Because that's what it boils down to, right? Yeah. Um, so the average home will pay about five dollars and ninety cents more per month. Okay, um, and that's over ten thousand gallons. It used to be that that was a pretty good range on what a household would use we're now down to about nine thousand gallons a month mm-hmm. on the average home but that's over ten thousand gallons so we want our listeners to know Sergio, that our current rate for ten thousand gallons for water and wastewater so if you have water and sewer that's about fifty four dollars with this increase it would go to fifty nine ninety five and that's why i said five dollars and ninety cents that would be the monthly total increase to their utility bill if they if they were to use 10,000 gallons of water a month. Uh, I want I also want the, the listeners to know that the valley average is over $65, close to $66 a month. That's just the average in the valley. So we are about $6 lower per month than the valley average. And um, I think that's important to note. Yep. Um, some cities a little bit lower, many, many cities uh, higher here in the valley around us in, in Cameron County, Hidalgo County. Mark Vega, General Manager at McAllen Public Utility, joining us on the morning news. And Mr. Vega, Tim Sullivan here. Could you talk more about how these water conservation measures impact your operations and your revenue? Because right now, as you mentioned, you know, with our reservoir situation, these conservation measures are, are pretty crucial for agriculture. But then at the oh. same time, as water users are saving money by conserving, now those savings could be, you know, I don't know, wiped out by the rate increases you're implementing, being prompted by those same conservation measures. Right. And so that's a great question, Tim. And so it's, you know, if I could liken it to something, if I could make a parallel, that way you could maybe understand. Let's just say that you own a gas station or you own a fuel company. And due to the lack of supply of gasoline, um, your state or your government says you can only fill your tank up to half, half a tank of gas, halfway. You cannot go fill up your tank of gas. You, you can only get halfway. So if you can only fill your tank to half a tank, then whoever that owner of that gas station is or supplier of gasoline will see a tremendous impact to their revenue, sure. right? Yep. Um, and it's kind of the same way with water. Yep. In the hot summer months, that's when you sell water, 
and you tell your citizens, hey, we need to cut back on how much water you use. So, um, you know, if we did that in the winter, let's say December, January, February, uh, that's our lowest three months of the year of that, that where our citizens consume water, our lowest water consumption months. Maybe that impact isn't so isn't felt so so much, but in the hot summer months, yeah, that's where you really um, uh, you you plan on making your revenue because that's where folks use the water more um, and they use more water, so uh, they irrigate more. I should say, yeah. Lowest water consumption during the winter. Nobody takes a shower during those that time of the year. I think my son with his long showers will probably make up for that uh, this coming winter. Look, while some other some other water entities have reportedly uh, thought about going back to normal, right? Voluntary water restrictions. Mm-hmm. We're twenty nine percent right now. Water. Um, ownership at the watershed 25 percent is a trigger uh, this is the uh, the trigger is mccallan going back to quote-unquote normal operations or are you still going to keep the the restrictions in place so not yet Sergio. we don't want to lift the restrictions that close to the trigger because we don't want to go a month or six weeks have it dip below 25 and then put everybody back on restrictions we, we want to be comfortably over the 25, meaning at least 35% before we lift restrictions. And that way, we don't have our citizens on restrictions, off restrictions, on restrictions, on voluntary. That, that wouldn't be any good. That, that confuses the public, and we don't want to do that. So we want to be well above the 25%, meaning at least 35% before we lift restrictions. And the latest numbers that we got, just so you know, are already above 30. They're hovering at 31%. Um, and hopefully in the fall months, that's when we do get most of the rain, and we hope it's the same up in the watershed and the, and the reservoirs um, fill up. Are McAllen residents going to see the new water sewer rates in the next month, the next cycle? Right, so that would be for October, so they probably won't see that till their November, till November. Because you, you obviously you're billed an, a month in in. Uh, in advance. So your November bill will reflect your October usage. So that's when they'll see a, a slight increase. Does the revenue keep certain brick and mortar projects on track for you? Is there anything interesting that you've got on your table? Well, yes and no. These, these, uh, these increases are solely for operational expenses. So they have nothing to do with actual projects. Uh, but we do have several projects. And so one of them is our new smart meter. Um, rollout that we are about to start here after the new year, um, probably in the spring. So we're going to change out, we're going to replace every single water meter with a uh, what's called a an ultrasonic um, solid state water meter. And it's what's called a smart meter so that uh, we can track, um, let's say you have a leak at your home, you don't have to wait a month between when the meter reader goes out there and notices a high consumption and says, hey, you used 50,000 gallons this month, you had a, you must have had a leak. Uh, we can catch that much, much sooner, and so can the residents. So we'll have a portal where residents can also log on to and, and track their consumption, um, and that will be rolled out hopefully right after the um, the installation. For all customers, so it, right, Mark? All, it will not be voluntary. This will be mandatory for all customers in McAllen, right? Correct, correct, because okay. the whole point here is efficiency so that you don't have 15, 15 vehicles a day driving through all city of McAllen reading meters. Yeah. We will now be able to focus on our meter technicians that go assist with any issues that meters might have or customers might have. 
instead of walking the streets every day or yeah, driving the streets every meat. day to meetings. All right. Mark, thank you for the update. He's the GM over at McAllen Public Utility, Mark Vega. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. One year mark for the Texas A&M RGV Advanced Manufacturing Hub, the train program. And Catherine Diaz, a director, joining us on KURV. So take us to school, Ms. D. What is this train program and how is it helping industry? The train program is a grant that Texas A&M Engineering received from the state of $10 million to help provide completely free workforce training for folks that live here in the Rio Grande Valley, especially those in Cameron County and Brownsville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are here. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep going. I'm sorry. No, we're here to support anybody who's looking to get a new job, a better job, get some new training, all completely for free. I see the port benefiting greatly, and that's where your office is set up, right, at the Port of Brownsville. We have so many different jobs and literally hundreds of jobs every month uh, to be had. How many certifications in this past year have you been able to dole out, and what type of jobs are we looking at? Yeah, so we're looking at jobs in manufacturing, heavy equipment, welding, uh, lots of different uh, industries that are at the port and inside uh, the city of Brownsville. We have been uh, already awarding 3,503 certificates of completion just in our first year alone. Now, I know Texas A&M, our, our RGV chapter, is tip of the spear. But are you also working in partnership with some local junior colleges or maybe other technical institutes to get this done? Absolutely. So one of our main training providers is Texas State Technical College. They've been wonderful partners with us, and we hope to expand our partnerships here in the Rio Grande Valley soon. Okay. How do individuals tap into this, like somebody tuning in saying, hey, I'd like to get a new skill, uh, maybe something in, I don't know, welding or cybersecurity, something that that I could take over to the port and uh, get a job there? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, they need to visit train estufuturo.org. On our website, we have our entire calendar of courses, all of the, the catalog of courses. They can see everything from safety, occupational health and safety, welding, manufacturing. All of that is right there on our website. Some of our courses are in person. Some are online, anywhere from two hours to 12 weeks, depending on what folks you're really interested in. Catherine Diaz, Texas A&M RGV Advanced Manufacturing Hub, this trained program of the 10 million dollars you said that seed money that was placed how much have we tapped into how how many years of training are we looking at that we might be able to benefit from in, in south texas yeah that initial investment was for two years and we hope that and with the support of the legislature we will have continued success here in the rgb okay what do we need to provide jobs for because i know industry at the port is always changing and it's so diverse from new energy and traditional energy shipbuilding shipbreaking maybe even 
liquefied natural gas in the near future? What type of job skills? I think that's an easy sell for lawmakers up in Austin. Say, hey, look, we got all these jobs on the way. What type of jobs are we looking at? And how much money are you going to be seeking next go around? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not exactly sure on the ask for the next go around, but uh, what I know is that the Texas legislature knows that the RGV is going to be a booming place, Mm -hmm. as goes the RGV, as goes Texas, as we heard our chancellor say yesterday. You know, we're really focused not only on the current industry that we have, which includes, you know, phenomenal ship breaking, um, logistics, you know, supply chain delivery, those kinds of things for our manufacturers, but also helping folks that are here build more innovation in advanced manufacturing, because we know that that's going to be the future for Texas. We have a couple of international bridge, uh, bridges, two of them, um, the Anseldúas one and also Donna. Uh, as you know, we had a conversation with the mayor of Donna, and you, man, you talk about logistics and warehousing and everything related to international trade. Those are, are a lot of jobs that are on the horizon in the next twenty-four to thirty-six months here in South Texas. I, I would venture, I would guess that that would help the argument to keep funding the Texas A&M RGV uh, Advanced Manufacturing Hub. That's absolutely right. We've seen folks that come through our program that have gotten jobs, like I say, as welders, as forklift drivers, and, you know, just lots of different industries that we see that are not only existing here in growing numbers, but also will be coming in the future. You mentioned the partnership Texas A&M has with Texas State Technical College. Is there a chance that maybe some school districts might tap into this, Brownsville, or maybe for, I'll give you an example, Edinburgh, for example. Edinburgh's about to Chris, in a 100,000-square-foot massive facility with a lot of these jobs that you just mentioned that, that could be... Yeah, I'm telling you, Sergio, yeah. there is growth all over the region. You know, as a matter of fact, just yesterday we signed MOUs with three school districts in Cameron County, hmm. with Brownsville ISD, Los Fresnos ISD, and Point Isabel ISD, because we know that we can't just train our, our existing adult population. We have to make sure that our kids, you know, in our K-12 systems know that manufacturing and all of these industries are viable careers right here in the valley that they can have a really you know good life but they do have to have some training and so we want to we want to help them you know understand what those careers are and get them the training they need you need uh, i would imagine you also need frontline logistics and manufacturers and trade companies to provide those jobs or maybe i don't know internships or uh, other type of uh, segue jobs for some of these students um, do you need more companies to step up? Are you working directly with companies to provide those jobs, those internships and other type of uh, workforce, workmen, uh, you know, skilled uh, skills development yeah. training jobs? We sure have. You know, we've gotten uh, some really strong partnerships with uh, different companies at the port, EMR, Steel Coast, a uh, couple Amfels, and many others go. that are at the port as well as St. Gobain and Sata that are there in Brownsville. And we've been working across the valley with companies. So I would encourage any company, uh, especially those in manufacturing and related to supply chain, that if they need some training support, to please visit us at trainersuperduro.org or give us a call. We're, we're happy to meet with them and see what their needs are so that it's not just about the industry saying, oh, well, there's only this buffet of courses, but train can actually come in and help me train the teams that I have in the way that I need them trained. Okay, it is train as in you know a little choo-choo train train s s to futuro it's your future s to futuro.org you said right that's correct train s to futuro.org steve thank you for your time absolutely thank you that's Catherine diaz
Texas A&M RGV Advanced Manufacturing Hub, the train program. This is the only radio station in the Rio Grande Valley for the news and information you need to know. We are News Talk 710KURV. Discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is sergio at kurv.com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.